oh, I've got such a 10 feeling. I think that 10 is going to be bad news. They're at 1%, but they're worried it might get squeezed. Down from one. Well, there are there are decimals, Grace. Pinko, pongo, hit that bango. This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA Succession, Season 4, Episode 1, The Monsters. But to my beanpole, my name's Adam Hemming, and I'm here with definitely one of the disgusting brothers. It's Neil, random fuck Shepherd. Adam, you look tired and your face is giving me a headache. (laughs) (laughs) And like a Daimler that's been in the barn 20 years, she's definitely not a hostile corporate asset. It's Grace Chapman. Why is everybody so fucking happy? (laughs) We got succession back. Yay! (laughs) And Adam, am I right? This isn't a pre-fuck party. No, definitely not a pre-fuck party. We should say that, uh, unfortunately, Damo and Izzy, who will be joining us on this succession journey, couldn't be with us this evening. So we are back to the original succession three. Oh, yes, absolutely. We should also say, you know, in the words of Sky, there will be strong language throughout. (laughs) Yes, indeed. And spoilers for episode one of Succession season four. So if you haven't yet seen that, pause the podcast, go and watch it and come back. And I think we're a bit late for the mature language warning. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, we, we mark all of our podcasts explicit, whether they are or not, just in case. So what was it like to be back with the Roy family? Great. So happy. I spent the last 24 hours Googling old clips, re-watching a couple of episodes and dancing to the theme tune in prep. And it didn't disappoint. I mean, what what a lot of pressure coming into a final season of a show like that. And I think they did a, a great job. We were straight out the blocks and I just lo- I loved it. I loved it so far. It's all fucking fine. Do you mind <laughs> if I ejaculate? <laughs> I possibly could because I absolutely loved it. Amazing dialogue. It's fantastic to catch up with where they're at. So we've basically got the three kids against Logan, dad. And that seemed to be the majority of this episode's plot. Yeah, and my one of my favourite parts of any previous Succession episodes is when the kids are left unsupervised. That is my absolute favourite. And so this episode coming out with that, with the new Jen Roys cooking up some hypermobile disruptive news brand was the perfect way to begin. Let's start with the kids then, because they've been ousted basically by Logan and they all deal with it, I think, in really different ways. But they're working on the hundred, which is the worst idea in cricket and also in new media ventures. But they describe this as... Substack meets Masterclass meets The Economist meets New Yorker. We said iconic, you're leaning ironic when he's talking to the PR people. And then they say it's a one-stop info shop, high-quality info snacks or info parcels, depending on who you go with. And it's like a private members club, but for everyone. Uh, Clickbait for smart people was one of my favourite bits. But yeah, the way that they packaged up this idea for us, the viewer, we just totally understood that it was basically a whole load of hot air, really. They're all on pretty shaky ground, aren't they? Other than Roman, who's a bit more certain, I think they all feel quite uncertain. And I thought it was really interesting how much of the recap was spent on Kendall and Shiv. Much more than I thought. And then they open and and Shiv 
kisses Roman on the cheek to say hello and then doesn't with Kendall. I haven't picked up on that. That That's really interesting. Shiv is the yummy, dummy, demi. And then you've got Kendall, who's the fearless fighter of the good fight. I think this was all Kendall. And then Roman, the dirty little fucker pushing the filth buttons. I thought it was very interesting that Roman seemed to be the most serious of the three of them. Shiv is definitely playing her cards and looking at various options. But it seems like Roman's the one who is taking this seriously and wants to get a a serious business out of all of this. 100% or 100. But I think just you saying that, Neil, made me realise that actually Roman is the only one who hasn't been offered the top job and then haven't had it taken away, Mm. whereas the other two have. So maybe there's something in the other two, that feeling of wanting to have their revenge will be much stronger than Roman, who if... You know, as we remember, when we left him in season three, he was still appealing to his father to love him. So I don't think he's gone far enough, maybe yet, to really stick the knife in. Yeah, I think it was interesting that Kendall was quite bullish about the 100 at the beginning. And Shiv was dipping into the political side of things and seeing whether there's a route back in there for her in case it all goes tits up. But what brings them both together is the idea of getting one over on dad by nabbing Nan's newspaper from underneath him. I just thought it was really, really interesting. Roman's the one who who needs convincing that that's the way to go because he was fully in on the 100 idea. But they are both, for slightly different reasons, both really, really keen to get one over on Logan. I think it's also important, because I'm not sure we've said it, but this is the last series. So there's going to be a lot of tying up of storylines. And I think the stakes are going to be upped quite a lot. So I think we need to bear that in mind when looking at this. It's called Succession. And I think we've always thought that it's going to end with someone being the successor. And I think it's going to be really interesting to think about how this series will end. It's been made very clear that this is the last season. Another thing about the three of them together, were they in some sort, where were they? That's my first question. Were they in some sort of like really, I mean, I don't think Airbnb even go that high. (laughs) Does anyone know where they actually were? Well, we know Shiv is hoteling. It felt to me like it was maybe Roman's or or Kendall's place. Well, firstly, it was stunning. But secondly, one thing that I I picked up on was that they are always standing in a triangle shape. Sort of most of the time, if they're in a room together, they're in a triangle shape. And I just really love that because it made me think that each of them have got to have eyes on each of them at all times. So there's still no trust there, is there? Like they're suspicious of Shiv, you know, are you snaking Shiv? What do we think of T slash Telly slash Tellis? So he's the one who is brokering the deal. Am I right? Well, yeah, he's. I think he's their sort of kind of fix-it guy almost. He's the one who's bringing in the backers, like a business advisor, I guess. He's bringing in the backers for the 100 initially, and then they're going to him for advice on how much money they can afford to offer to Nan later on. Yeah, he's essentially being paid $2 million to say that he's excited about it. Yeah. Well, I think we'll see his patience being tested before too long in this series. Should we talk about Logan a bit? Because he's celebrating his 80th birthday. He is, and Cousin Greg is um, making... His usual faux pas, his date is wolfing all the canapes like a famished warthog and he's told he'll never go to the opera again. Cousin Greg has always 
desperately wanted Logan's approval. And he's now in a position where he's trying to make the most of bringing a plus one, and yet it's really not doing him any good at all. I think he's just re- reveling in being one of the disgusting brothers, isn't he, Greg? He's like, you know, he went from dating Comfrey. I mean, Comfrey's gone, clearly, in the last season, and then the Countess. And clearly now he's learned that he's able to play the field a little bit. And I think he's he's off being a disgusting brother. And why not? <laughs> I feel like Greg definitely has a bit more of a swagger to him than in past seasons. But he does seem to wildly swing between feeling quite confident, being like, you know, I I have a right to be here. What does he say? I'm a cousin. I should have a plus one. Also then swinging wildly to thinking he's done something terribly wrong and he has to to atone and he has to tell Logan and blah, blah, blah. And then when Logan has the smile on his face, swinging back to being really proud. So it will be really interesting to see where he finally lands from like early Greg to now Greg. But yeah, the girlfriend. Tell you what, if I was in that party, I'd be using all the display towels as well. I loved when he first arrived with with his date and he's introducing her to Kerry. Uh, Logan's, um, not sure what to call you. And Kerry comes back with friend, assistant and advisor. Advisor. Also, Kerry definitely got more airtime in this episode than I think she's had cumulatively maybe across the seasons I think she's going to be quite a an interesting player in this season now that Marsha you know is shopping in Milan forever well yeah I mean when she she said to Greg what's her surname is it random fuck I was like crikey she's stepped up a bit in the status stakes has she been spending a bit too much time with Logan maybe well we never really got to spend much time with her so actually maybe she's always been like this you know no, I think there's definitely been a move up in terms of her outward confidence, I think. Definitely. You know, she feels like she's in a position of power, at least for now. Let's follow Greg through a little bit then. So he calls Tom Disgustibus, and he talks about this being another tick on the chart, his date. And later on, he calls her a firecracker. She's crunchy peanut butter. I mean, this was just icky stuff from Greg, really. Bingo, bongo, <laughs> hit that bango. I was like, no, Greg, where's where's hokey Greg gone? Adam, you know, as Greg said, who needs a soul anyway? That is long gone, that, I'm afraid. I, I worry that our, our sort of season one cousin Greg in that animal costume in the resort is, is long gone. I really like Greg. But I don't think I liked him in this episode, not because of his performance or his, but I just don't like him as a person at the moment. And I think that's really interesting for the Greg fans to go through. Well, as Tom pointed out, Greg has accidentally made Logan a sex tape and he's going to gut you like a rainbow trout. And as you said, Adam Pingo Pongo hit that bango. He's definitely putting himself in a position that's going to be difficult to get out of. Yeah, so his, his date's dragged him into a guest bedroom and they've had a rummage, haven't they? And Tom asks, did they rummage to fruition? Whether there is CCTV in every single guest bedroom, I don't know. I think this was Tom playing with Greg a little bit, pranking him into confessing all to Logan. Sorry to be correct, C's over here, but it wasn't in the guest bedroom, Adam. It was in the armory slash cigar humidor, which I think is a really important detail because I don't know what the f- that is. <laughs> no, neither do I. Listeners, please tell us. Apparently, Logan's reaction to Greg telling him this news is that he finds me disgusting and despicable, but he kind of smiled. So maybe this will work in Greg's favour. I also enjoyed when Colin, and Colin gets more airtime as well, 
and a name. I don't think I knew that his name was Colin before this episode. His date has to leave because she's been posting on social media. Greg's going along with him and Colin's like, do you want to explain it to her? And he's like, no, do your ways and God be willing. Oh, I love it when Greg goes all sort of ye olde English. I think it was it, it's a real theme that runs through all of succession. And we had it, I think, twice, maybe even three times in this episode of people not wanting to deliver the difficult news, not wanting to be the one to tell. So like Greg with this. And then there was a conversation between Jerry and Frank. Thrilled to see Frank there. Jerry and Frank not wanting to tell Logan about the Pierce wobble. It happens all the time. People like, I think maybe you should go because you're family. So it's nice to know that even though time has passed, a lot about these characters just does not change. I wonder whether she was going to end up inside her ludicrously capacious bag after Colin had done his ways. He's the go-to guy for sorting stuff out, right? And it was a designer bag. That was all that was wrong with it, in that it was a very overtly designer bag. And actually, if we look at what the hyper wealthy wear it's often not really logos it's almost you're so rich you don't have to tell everyone that you're rich because you wear it on your skin I really felt for her I want to talk about Logan a little bit so he's at his 80th birthday and seemingly thoroughly depressed I mean Connor is there but none of the rest of his kids are not that he speaks to Connor at all during the whole event. <laughs> I mean, he just hates people, doesn't he, generally? He talks about little piggies stuffing their mouths, which reminded me of the whole bore on the floor scene. It was a nice little callback to that. Yeah, uh, and he says, why is everyone so fucking happy? He's disappointed there's no churchman or a cardinal there. My favourite scene, actually, of the whole episode was the scene where he's out in the restaurant with Colin, his bodyguard. I thought this was absolutely brilliant. He calls Colin the good guy, my best pal, and then talks about people as economic units. I'm 100 foot tall, these people are pygmies. And then we get this brilliant conversation about what happens when we die. And when Colin tries to say, oh, my dad's quite religious, he doesn't give a shit, doesn't care what Colin thinks or what his dad thought. He's like, I've got my fucking suspicions. He's suspicious of the afterlife. It was interesting because at, at first I I was with you, Adam. I was like, I think they're talking about the afterlife. But then I, I, the way that Logan was looking around and talking about, you know, humans being economic units and when they're together, they're a market. And then he said, you think there's anything after all this? I think this is it. I was wondering if he was maybe talking about essentially capitalism and, you know, what rules us, the wealth that rules us in, in our current state of the world. I think it was a bit ambiguous. And I quite liked that. I wonder if this series of succession, which it's never really done, will actually drill into the realities of having the hyper rich, not just us enjoying spending time with them and thinking they're idiots or whatever, but actually being like, what world are we living in where this kind of wealth can accumulate and happen? I wonder whether he values his worth by what his children will do for him now that they have been cut off, that he, he doesn't see any value in any of what he's doing anymore. He's left at the end of the episode. All he's got left once he sells to Waystar is ATN. Sorry, once he sells to Gojo is the ATN thing, right? He was supposed to buy Nan's business, Nan's paper. So he sat there watching the news coverage, calling his producer and just criticising it because it's not very good. Well, he's got ATN, but he's also got his big omelette nipples. (laughs) That's definitely something he should be proud of. I would love it if Logan discovered I guess a more socialist attitude he's been very capitalist minded 
And I think if that were to happen, it would really put a pin in what his children are attempting to do. So I think that would be a really interesting plot twist. I was listening to an old interview with Brian Cox talking about Logan Roy. And the two main key things he said were that Logan essentially hates people. Again, pretty clear from this episode. The other thing he said was that he he genuinely loves his children. Mm. I think yeah. it, a really interesting moment for Logan was when he was waiting for Tom to call Shiv and everyone was sat round and he complained that it was all a bit dry in there. And he was like, tell a joke. Um, someone roast me. And I thought, he's missing his kids. That's exactly what they mm. would all be doing in that room. And I thought it was really telling that he was wanting that atmosphere in a relationship i'm sure he can imagine roman sitting in the corner with a snide remark and he wasn't there adam as the only parent amongst us i mean i imagine your kids are everything to you so yeah i'm really interested on your response to what grace has just said because i agree grace i I do think that logan is absolutely missing his children I, I agree. I think he is. The whole Kerry phoning the kids up and saying, oh, it would mean a lot to him if you if you just called. The trouble is, he's so arrogant and so self-important that he's not going to phone them or, you know, she might be able to get him to text them. And I think the other big thing about it all is that he's a self-made man, right? He made his money himself and his kids never have had to. And he's just disappointed in them and that's never more evident than at the end of the episode when he says to them well done for thinking of a bigger number yeah i mean he says tell them to get their own fucking idea and he has got a point we see it with shiv and kendall and roman throughout this episode like making a decision is really hard because they've never really had to make much beyond what color sock should i put on really the big stuff they've just they haven't had to think about it it's just happened for them on a plate. I can imagine, yeah, I can totally imagine Logan being like, this is so frustrating. If you want, if, if they started the 100, I'm sure he'd be thrilled. Yeah, I agree. And I want to quote some stuff from Shiv where she says, he might go on a killing spree, talking about Kendall, and you might get your dick stuck in an AI jerk machine about Roman. Roman then says, well, let's hope. And Roman then says, you want to fuck dad? You want to fuck Tom? I'm the only one who wants to set up a business as a business and doesn't want to fuck anyone. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier about Roman being the only one taking the hundred seriously. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that Roman response to that little drop of let's hope it was was perfect. And I think that he's right. They are doing it. And, and what happens in this section with Nan, we'll talk about now, they put an emotional premium on the cost of that business, of that paper. Um, mm. And it's it's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous that they're basically paying $4 billion over what that is worth. And it's just absolutely crazy. And the reason they've done it is to get one over on their dad. It's mm. because of their own insecurities about their relationship with Logan. And Roman, you know, Roman can see that, but he's still powerless to kind of stop it all from happening. He tries. The language that they use around money in succession is so clever. They'll say a bill, a mill, a mill, mill. You know, they don't even bother to finish the word. And it's almost not even money to them in in terms of like actually buying food with it. And, and Roman trying to get them to see just how much 
actual money. What does he say? That's 500 times of a thousand thousand. And their expression just does not change. It was so brilliant. I really loved that little piece of writing there because it helps us to remember how mad this really all is. Let's deal with the Nan storyline then. So Nan is Kendall's ex-girlfriend's grandmother, I believe, played superbly by Cherry Jones. I mean, I think she gives the performance of the episode in this for me. Yeah. This is just amazing. But she wants to sell up their their newspaper, their business. She's got all sorts of financial problems. And she knows, obviously, that there is separation between Logan and the kids and plays them off against each other so, so beautifully. It's a sad, sad day when love dies. That was Roman about the, the separation, wasn't it? It was such a great moment. But yeah, the woman who plays Nan... Uh, who I've now instantly forgotten her name. She's playing an, a really savvy businesswoman p- pretending to not really understand it that much or at least not being willing to discuss it. I mean, it's like a double performance. It's so good. It's the, the distastefulness of talking about money. Do you know what I mean? It's just, just <laughs> so, so brilliant. And Roman sees oh. right through it from the beginning and he's uh, like his some of his expressions and reactions to the things that she says they talk about Shiv going mano and nano they're putting Shiv front and centre because Nan likes her they invite the kids to go along then when they turn up she's got a headache she's got a migraine she can't see them let's see how the headache develops and then tells them straight away I've got a bitter already it's not going to happen um, <laughs> and then the news goes we see this cutting across between Logan and his advisors the news is getting to them that there's another bidder, so he's cancelled the party. She says, I fear I have peasant tastes. I like my wine thin and vinegary. <laughs> I think a reference to Logan is basically her saying it's your dad who's who's bid for it. And then she says it's not about the numbers, which is one of, one of the points where Roman gives his facial gymnastics. But she's like, oh, numbers that, you know, there's eight, nine, what's next? Then he says, well, yeah, is it is it 9B? It's very confusing what comes after nine. <laughs> That was one of my favourite bits. I mean, the Roy family haggling themselves upward was just one of my favourite sections. It's very performative, isn't it? You know, they come into the room, they say the next offer, and then they're like, lots to think about. (laughs) I think Nay says, she appreciates eight. Is there more upside? (laughs) (laughs) But there's a moment where Tom is on the phone. Well, they're talk- Tom's talking to Logan and he says, you know, we're not Terry fucking Turnip Truck. And then he goes to the phone and he's like, oh, hi, Nan. And I'm like, was she was she listening to that conversation the whole time? Over that point, it goes from 8 billion to 10 billion. And that was the point that we referenced earlier where Logan's like, nobody tells jokes anymore, do they? You know, th- this is dry as fucking dust. Frank. Stop. Be funny. The thing about Logan is he's a tough nut. You scared the life out of me. I think that was great. Where's all your kids, Logan? Which was very pertinent. Right, Logan's come back to that is where's your old man sucking cock at the county fair? But I did love the who wants to smell Greg's finger. Oh, God. Really, really playground, really gross. Obviously, they end up going up to 10. It's just ridiculous. As Logan was going to start off with six, I get a 10 feeling. Oh, I've got such a 10 feeling. I think that 10 is going to be bad news. Congratulations on saying the biggest number, you morons. Such a good comeback from Logan. He actually ended up winning that battle just with that line. And I do wonder whether they are ever going to be able to raise the funds to pay her. 
because you know they think I think they said that they had about eight was what they would likely get from the Waystar sale. The Waystar sale is still forty eight hours away, so there's loads that could happen in that. 48-hour period. We get a couple of little drops of Matson throughout the episode, just as a little reminder that that's going on and happening in the background. So then Shiv goes home. Yes, let's talk about Shiv and Tom. Gosh, this was... So Tom said, I thought you were hoteling. Shiv says, do you take turns with Greg? You don't want to talk? I don't think so, Tom. So this is it, huh? We gave it a go. And then they both collapse on their bed we gave it a go it was such beautiful writing because it was so simple but it was so loaded in that moment and I think that there were so many amazing moments and Sarah Snook and Matthew McFadden huge round of applause for that scene it was beautifully done and just seeing them alone together where they could maybe just be a bit more of themselves with each other and be a tiny bit vulnerable, though I think Shiv really locked that down. I thought the line from Tom about, do you really want to get into the accounting of all the pain in our marriage? was stunning. And it made it really reminded me of when he said to Shiv a few seasons ago about balancing the love portfolio. It really made me think of that and how this whole time, neither of them have really been confident or sure in each other's commitment to each other. They gave it a go. And you kind of tell from Shiv throughout the episode, really, that she's struggling with all of this. There is that undercurrent from her performance throughout, I think. And she she just cannot cope with the emotional stress of it all at all. It's really, really sad. I mean, Tom says, that makes me sad. And I was like, yeah, there's genuine pain from the two of them in that moment. And his final offer to make love to her. Yeah. <laughs> sort of a last, last attempt at some sort of connection and some sort of intimacy. And her just being like, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, Tom is quite worried about what will happen if he and Shiv divorce. Is he then less useful to Logan Roy? I mean, Logan says, if we're good, we're good, which heartens Tom. <laughs> Heartening. But yeah, you're so right. I hadn't thought about that. But every time that Logan has needed Tom, it's to call Shiv yeah. in this episode. And so if that is broken, that, that line of communication to the new Gen Roy's, then maybe he won't be as useful and he'll have to find other ways to be useful. God forbid what that might look like. <laughs> well, I mean, we said last season that Tom has proven a couple of times that he's actually quite good at his job. You don't necessarily see that from Frank or Carl. We haven't touched on Connor yet. He gets a couple of brief moments in this episode. Firstly, when he's talking about how he's doing in the polls. <laughs> they're at 1%, but they're worried it might get squeezed. Down from one. Well, there are there are decimals, Grace. <laughs> oh God, Connor is just such joy. He's low risk, you know. When he comes onto the screen, I can relax a little bit. But you know, let's see how he plays out. But yeah, the discussion around how to maintain the one percent with this, the wedding underneath the Statue of Liberty with the brass band and a rapper, jetpacks and confetti guns, hoopla and razzmatazz. He's- Desperate for that wedding to, I guess, be spectacular. And he's just desperate. He's just desperate. It's painful to watch. I'm really hoping that within season four, we get to see his attempt at being president. I do feel like that is a storyline waiting to happen. So I really, really hope that we get to see that. His plans for his wedding... With the presidency in mind, it's just scary. 
He's got to get inserted into the news cycle somehow. But how long have we got left on this timeline of the election? I got a couple of weeks. Yeah, aren't we two weeks away from the election? Something like that. Something interesting that could happen is if if one of the two frontrunners, something like a scandal blows up their whole campaign or something. I mean, I imagine Logan can puppeteer something to happen that maybe puts Connor in the second place. It would be terrifying, but entirely possible. <laughs> I, I do think that's pro- probably where we're headed. I mean, they talk about spending another $100 million on the campaign. And Greg asks, um, you know, can you win with that sort of investment? And Willa just says, God, no. <laughs> I love Willa. I love it when she's like, mm-hmm. I sort of just wanted a, a, a nice wedding. <laughs> also, that, that conversation between them where he says, um, you know, I might spend another mil. Um, it is quite a lot, though, isn't it? And she's like, it is a lot, but you'll still be rich after that. And again, I just thought it was such a perfect way of showcasing just how rich these people are. Yeah. They wouldn't even know. Except I don't think Connor is. Connor's always the one who's worried about money a little bit and how much he's spending on her theatre shows and stuff like that. I don't think he's got as much money as, as the other three do. Mm, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah. If we don't get that wedding under the Statue of Liberty, I'm going to be annoyed. <laughs> Okay, so I'm confused. I've written down a quote and I can't remember who said it and who they said it about. So who looks like a ball sack in the toupee? Ah, that is the news presenter, the ATN news presenter, when he's on the phone to Sid Peach at the end of it all. So basically he's watching the news during the night, through the night, and he's like, people watch the news at night, you need to have better presenters on the graveyard. Thank you, Evan. Right, anything else we need to cover on this one then? Or is it, is it time for our favourite lines of the episode? Oh, I think I've, we've said a lot of them, but the one that I think, the one that got the biggest laugh from me, we've already said it, is when Tom described Greg's day as wolfing all the canapes like a famished warthog. <laughs> <laughs> but what's so wonderful about that is it's the visuals of it. Because as soon as he said it, all I could think about was a warthog eating canapes. And that's just funny. No, it's brilliant. Really, really good. My line, I've picked my line because I think it's a euphemism, but it's when Logan says, Kerry, I may need input. Mm. Okay, my line is the line that I opened up with. You look tired and your face is giving me a headache. Excellent. Well, we'll leave that one there then, I think. But yeah, really, really lovely to have Succession back in our lives. If you want to let us know what you thought of the episode or what else you're watching, you can contact us on the social media at tvdnapod or email us tvdnapod at gmail.com. We will have a watch list episode coming soon where we'll be talking about great expectations, extrapolations and other stuff we've been watching, as well as previewing what's coming soon and some TV news. And we've also got a new episode coming this week for The Mandalorian. And at the end of the week, we'll be starting our Yellow Jackets episode. So loads of really, really good stuff coming out this week. We've also got our interview with Unforgotten director Andy Wilson. Such a great chat. I'm really, really looking forward to sharing that with people. He was brilliant. Well, look, this has been great, but I'm going to go shopping in Milan forever. Yeah, And why not? And why not? Yes. You go, and Neil. Why not? And why not? And why not? And why not? <laughs> Put this in somewhere else. But did we see Alison Janney at Logan's party? Not that I was aware of. I didn't see her. I'm pretty sure she was there. 
I can't end it. I don't, I'm, I'm really stuck on ending stuff. We should end with our favourite lines, really, shouldn't we? Yeah. See you. See you when you. Right. Well, no. Bye then. Bye. Sorry, Grace. I'd, I'd hear you better. No, I can't say that. You what? Don't say something naughty to me. We're what now? We go what? We go what? I can't say. It. <laughs> Don't say. It. Say it to Neil. Say it to Neil. Neil would have to say something. What, what are you going to say, Adam? Sorry, Neil. I, I can't. I, I'd hear you better if you took Dad's cock out of your mouth. Okay. Just give me a few minutes. <laughs>